If you want digital notes, you can always scan that QR code and get digital notes. If you do that, then the VOS references are hyperlinked, so you can conveniently click on them as I go through uh, the message, and it'll bring up a Bible probably on your phone, and you can track easily. Uh, Diane, well, her name is Diane as well. So, yeah, no. Oh, Diana, I think. It's Diana, right? Yeah. Yeah, those two of you. It's a popular name. It's a good name. All right. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 10. We're starting uh, today in Revelation chapter 10. Put your finger there. We're going to be going to some other texts as well. But the message today is about the message of the gospel. And we must eat, digest, and then we are called, all of us are called to proclaim. Now, our proclamation looks different in each of our circumstances. Like, not all of you will fit on this stage to proclaim, really. I mean, you would, but, but that's not your job. That's not your gifting. But God has put you in a place and in a time and in a space to be his ambassador, to be a, a, a minister of reconciliation, and to proclaim the gospel, right? Each of you are in that space to proclaim. You're, as we sang, to shine the light that Jesus shines on you, right? All right, go home. Message done. Right? Now let's look at this. Revelation chapter 10, verse 1. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head. His face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. What a vivid description. I think it's a good time to remind us of the rule of thumb when looking at visions and, and the supernatural. First, the rule of thumb in visions and supernatural is that most of the time the appearance is speaking of the the, the, the spirit's attributes, or secondly, his function. His attributes or his function. That's what is being displayed by what you see. For he is a spirit, and spirits can change how they look, right? So it's a good rule of thumb that say that they don't always look like the vi they look like in the visions, okay? Now, can they always look? Sure. They could always appear a certain way, right? Gabriel always shows up as a messenger in a white robe or something, right? Bright and shining, right? So there is consistency, but they're not bound to how they appear, and we need to remember that. So the good rule of thumb when looking at visions of heaven or visions of spiritual beings is that they appear to communicate their attributes, right, and their functions. And, and remember that because that clears up some of the, like, confusion I think that re revelation brings, right? The other thing we need to remember is that the spiritual realm is all around us, and we, unless given sight by God, right, do not see the spiritual realm, right? Now, we were created to live in both realms. That's what we're designed to do. What, 
And what caused that to, ha- to, to be broken? Sin caused that to be broken. And there is a day when heaven and earth, that realm, will be blended with no veil. We will see spiritual beings as it was meant to be. That day is coming. Come, Lord Jesus, come. So, let's look at this angel and see what these things say about his attributes and his function. Angel, simply in the, in, in the Greek, means messenger. And then the context determines whether that messenger is a spiritual messenger or a physical messenger. Now, we just read this verse. It's obviously a spiritual messenger, right? So the identity of this messenger is contested, meaning people don't agree, right, between Jesus and a mighty angel who has been in the presence of Yahweh and the Lamb. Perhaps Michael, perhaps Gabriel. We, we don't have a name for him because the text does not give him a name, but perhaps. I prefer mighty angel since Jesus shows up in Revelation without ambiguity. Meaning every time he shows up, it's clear that it's Jesus. That it's the lamb who was slain. That it's the, 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 the king of kings, the lord of lords, riding on his right horse. Right? There's no ambiguity everywhere else. So why would John then put ambiguity here? Right? So, but mighty angels show up elsewhere in Revelation. Um, and a reference in Revelation 5.1, this passage, 10.1, also in Revelation 18.21. And in the context there, it's clear that these mighty angels are not Jesus. Okay? And so we just need to m- remember that um, it really does not totally affect the meaning of this passage whether it's Jesus or a messenger, a mighty angle, a mighty messenger, okay? The message is the same. So we don't want to get wrapped up with focusing on the angel himself, but we need to focus on the message of the text, okay? Because all the things that this angel is displaying is to validate and verify that he is a legit messenger, And that we should eat and digest what he has to say to us this morning. So we will eat, digest, and then proclaim the message that he has given us. The cornforths are the contributors to the artwork today, so enjoy that. The appearance of the angel brings validity to the message. Okay, that's what the appearance is all about. So it's speaking of his function, okay, that he's a messenger and he's worthy to bring the message. The message is valid for he's wrapped in a cloud, showing that he comes from the very presence of Yahweh and the Lamb, displaying their glory as seen in Exodus 24, 15 through 16 and Matthew 17, 1 through 5. Let's look at those. Then Moses went up on the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord dwelt on Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud. 
And after six days, Jesus, Matthew 17, 1, we're going to jump down. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them to a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we're all here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. We're going to bring the kingdom now, right? And he was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased Listen to him. Listen to him. So this is that imagery. Imagery of God's glory. Imagery of, of the cloud being coming from God's presence. And that we should listen to the message that the angel has. And we should eat it, digest it, and then proclaim it. The message is valid for he has a rainbow as a crown showing God's covenantal faithfulness and hope in and through all his covenants, as seen in Genesis 9, 12 through 17. And the Lord said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. That's a covenant made with everybody and every living creature on this earth. I have set my bow. He has a crown, a, a rainbow crown, right? I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it, and I well, and it, we see it, and remember, the everlasting covenant between God and every little creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. Get the point yet? I mean, it's very repetitive, right? He wants to get it a point that the rainbow is a reminder of God's faithfulness and God's covenantal faithfulness, right? He's made a new covenant. Not just that covenant that he made back then, but he made us a new covenant, didn't he? Ezekiel 36, 26 talks about that new covenant. 2 Corinthians 15, 11 through 21 talks about we are new creations created in Christ Jesus to do the work of reconciliation. He's changing us from the inside out. He gives us new hearts, right? And we get to reconcile. We get to proclaim through our lives and through our actions, the work that he is doing in us. So every time we see a rainbow in scripture or in the clouds, we should be reminded that God is faithful and we are the messengers of his faithfulness. God is faithful. Faithful to keep his covenants. Faithful to live and change us. And we 
are called to be messengers, ambassadors of reconciliation. Reconciling man to God through the work of Jesus Christ. The message is valid, and the messenger is valid in that his face shines like the sun, shining God's light. For God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And this light has shown into us. Has shown those who believe it's shown into our hearts. This message we have heard from him and proclaim to you. This message we have heard from Jesus, John is saying, and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart with ministry, the ministry of proclamation, the ministry of sharing the gospel. But we have renounced disgraceful, underhand ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. That, that is good advice. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world, i.e. Satan, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is, in, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim and what we are called to proclaim is not ourselves, not our own agenda, not being a super pastor or a super neighbor, but we proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Jesus as Lord. In a spirit of humility, we proclaim. For God who said, let, shine, let, let light shine out in the darkness, referencing Genesis, has shown in our hearts to give light to the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So we are to proclaim this message of light, the message of light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. That's what we are to proclaim. That's this mystery that the angel is talking about in the passage. The validity of the message is demonstrated in his legs as pillars of fire. They fire symbolize judgment of Yahweh and the Lamb that has started in Revelation chapter 6 and it will continue until the end of the bowls. I think in Revelation 20 or something like that. 7, 18. I'd have to look. But the pillars of fire also hearkens us back calls us back to remember the message of the protective presence of Yahweh. That God is with this angel. And that God is with this message. And that God protects his own. Those whom he has sealed. This pillar of fire. Where is a pillar of fire? Elsewhere used Exodus 13.21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way. And by night in a pillar of fire. To give them light, 
that they might travel by day and by night. The presence of God with them, visibly seen, right? Right? Now, I know some of us would be like, if I could only see Jesus, if I could only touch Jesus, if I could only hold his hand, if I could only feel that hug, then, then I know I would be emotionally, I would just be okay. And yes, that's probably true. But that's not now. Right? That's, that's coming. But he has given us the seal and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity who lives with us and is with us and breathes with us and goes with us by day and by night, right? And he is a protective presence, knowing that God is walking in my life, and am I going to trust him in that walk process? Hard things happen. Difficult things happen. I know each one of you, I can see... I, I look at each one, and I know each one of you have difficult things happening in your life today. And I say this. If you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you have a promise that God is walking in that difficult thing for your good and his glory. And I challenge you to trust in that process, to trust the creator of the universe, to trust in him who's demonstrated himself to you on the cross to be sufficient. Who brings the very power of resurrection into your life. His presence is there. And it's not just a presence of passiveness. It's a protective presence. Meaning that nothing is happening to you that God has not said, okay, this will work. I will use this. God is not passive in your life. He's active. Because here it says in Exodus 14, 24 through 25, the, <coughs> oh man. <coughs> I'll get this, get some more fuel here. Test out that coconut coffee. It's pretty good. <clears throat> the Egyptians are coming down on the people of Israel. And they are stuck between the Egyptians and the Red Sea. There's nowhere to go. Right? And they're crying out, Moses, you brought us out here to die. It was onions and leeches. Uh, leeks were better than this. Right? And Moses says, God, <laughs> and God says, Moses, stretch out your rod over the sea. And uh, you know what? The pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud comes between the Egyptians and the Israelites and stands there so that the Egyptians who are pursuing the death and the destruction of God's people cannot succeed. And God blows a strong wind on the Red Sea all night long. And supernaturally, the Red Sea parts. And the Israelites walk across on dry land. Right? God demonstrating to the Israelites, demonstrating to us over the ages that God's presence is there. And it's protective in that pillar of fire. And in the morning watch... 
the Lord in the pillar of fire and the cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging the chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And this morning, the Lord, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, the Lord fights for you. He represents you. He's working for you, for your good and for his glory. It's a process we call sanctification. You are all saints, and you are being sanctified, more like saints each day. So he had a little scroll, Revelation 10-2, opened in his hand. And he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land. Scroll in the hand. Right foot on the sea, left foot on the land. The message is represented in the scroll in his hand. The scroll, generally speaking, is the revealed word of God. Specifically, it is probably Revelation or the rest of Revelation. Some think it is the very scroll, scroll that Jesus began to open in Revelation 6. The one who was only worthy to break the seals. And that would be very congruent with the text. It's just not explicitly stated. This scroll, this message. And we know this message has a message of judgment with it, right? But it also has a message of Redemption, the lamb, the title, the lamb, is repeated over 50 times in Revelation. 50. That's a lot. And what does the lamb represent? Right? It represents the sacrificial atonement of Jesus for the whole earth. an opportunity for redemption, an opportunity for renewal, right? The message is valid for the angel is standing on the land and the sea, which displays God's rule over all the earth, which speaks that the message is for all, everyone, not just for one person, not just for one ethnicity, not just for one language, but for everyone. Everyone to hear. Now, everyone will not believe. Belief is the key, right? Believing in Jesus and what he's done and that he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. This is the message that we share. Revelation 3, uh, 10, <coughs> Revelation 10 Three through four says, and I called out with, and called out with the, the angel called out with a loud voice, like a roaring lion. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write, but I heard a voice saying, "Seal up the seven thunders," he said, and do not write it down. Now there is so much speculation about the seven thunders. 
And I'll just tell you right now, don't waste your time. It's sealed up. And God keeps the things that he wants sealed up, sealed until he wants to unseal them. Okay? So I'm not going to waste time speculating on what the seven thunders are. In fact, I'm going to take this message from it. He's withholding information. Do you ever get frustrated that God in withholds information from you? Uh, yeah, we all do, right? Because we want it all laid out. And then if it was all laid out, I would say this. If it's all laid out, then where is faith? Where is trust, right? God calls us to a walk of faith. Therefore, he doesn't lay everything out. In fact, he says in Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord our God. What belongs to the Lord our God? The secret things. That means we don't know everything, right? But the things that are revealed belong to us, to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. And the things that are revealed, the word of God, ever true, changing me, changing you, that belongs to us. But now, we have that word. We stand on that word. We stand alone on the word of God, right? The B-I-B-L-E. It's our Bible. It's our formation for our way of life, for how we look at the world. Yeah? And I just have a caution. Not that you should be cautious about standing on the word of God. Because the word of God is faithful. The word of God is true. The word of God is living and active, changing us. But I have a, a caution about our attitude. Because we will never know everything. Nor will we have infinite, infallible understanding. That's not going to happen. Because if we did, that would make us God. And, and we're not God. We never will be God. God is God. We are not. Now, we have capability of understanding. We have capability of knowing. And we have the capability of knowing God's word. Right? and receiving God's word and, and proclaiming God's word. But then, if that is true, let us share the revealed message in a spirit of humility. Let us not mock those who were wronged. Right? Let us not shut down those who are wronged, but hear them. Because God's truth is God's truth, Right? And it can really protect itself. It doesn't need me to protect it, right? So sometimes I need not to get defensive, right, in engaging somebody in the proclamation of truth. Because if I get defensive, oftentimes my attitude and my presentation gets in, way, in the way of what the truth is, right? And then the rejection doesn't come down so much to the truth, Right? It comes down to how I acted and how I spoke. So good rule of thumb. If you're engaging somebody in sharing the truth, do not belittle what they believe. I know it's hard because I know in your mind you're like, that is absolutely ridiculous. I can't believe that people think evolution is a legitimate idea. Right? And then we speak somewhat condescending to that. Because the idea in our mind is intangible and definitely not congruent or in agreement with our perspective. Or even political ideology, right? 
happen. So I just encourage you, as you interact, do not belittle that truth. Or it's not truth. Or don't belittle their, their perspective. Hear it. Listen to them. You want them to listen to you, right? That's the whole reason you want to proclaim. Well, if you don't listen to them, do you think that they will want to listen to you? So listen. Listen to them before you proclaim. And when you proclaim, proclaim not in a spirit of judgment, but in a spirit of humility and in a spirit of reconciliation. For we are ambassadors for Christ to reconcile the world to God through Jesus Christ. And this isn't often a time we miss, especially in our culture today. Because as our culture goes from less being Christianized to being more pagan and post-Christian, the more we feel the loss of the privilege of sharing our faith unfiltered. And the more threatened we as Christians feel, and the more threatened we feel, the more adversarial, the more combative we become. And being combative is not in agreement with the gospel, and it's not in agreement with the message. And there are certain talk shows, certain podcasts that are extremely combative. And I'm not saying don't listen to those. But if you do, guard yourself against the spirit of pride. Pride in what you know. We must proclaim. But we must proclaim in a spirit of unity. The angel whom, uh, uh, of humility and unity, but humility is what I meant to say. The angel whom I saw standing on the sea on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created heaven and what is in it, the earth and what is in it, the sea and what is in it, that there would be no more delay. Yippee! He's coming! <laughs> no more delay, right? I mean, he's coming! He's coming! No more delay at this stage in Revelation. No more delay. But he is delaying now. In the, but in the days of the trumpet called to be sounded by the seventh angel, the mystery of God would be fulfilled. The mystery of God, the gospel, the fulfillment of the reconciliation of all things to him in Christ. Just as he announced to the servants and the prophets. The angel's message is valid for he swears by Yahweh and the Lamb. Yahweh and the Lamb who created all things. He declares that there is no more delay. The delay is spoken of in 2 Peter 3. And I'm just going to read 8 and 10 for the sake of time. But you should read all of 2 Peter 3 because it pertains. Verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that the, with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So God's timetable is not all timetable. The Lord is slow. He's delayed. Is not slow, sorry. To fulfill his promises, as some would count slowness or delay, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to 
repentance. The day of Yahweh is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. It's coming for judgment upon the, uh, the, the, the earth and a, and a discipline and a refinement on the nation of Israel to call them back to himself. But that day is coming. And once that day arrives, there is not a lot of opportunity for repentance. Especially the final day where he is going to judge the living and the dead. Right? You don't get any second chances. Today, today, today is the day of salvation. Today. But the Lord, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be borne up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Language of judgment on the earth. That day is coming. That day of judgment is coming, culminating in the second coming, culminating in the, the great white throne judgment. So God's program in Revelation 10, uh, 6 through, through 7, is in, or 9, is in full swing. To fulfill and complete the redemption and renewal of the earth through the final judgment of sin. So the, the, some of the judgment of sin has been, re, has been uh, taken care of, hasn't it? It was taken care of on the cross for anyone who believes. Does everyone believe? Not everyone believes. So there is a judgment coming for those who do not believe. This is the mystery which has been revealed to us in the prophets, fulfilled in the person of Jesus, and recorded in the word of God. This is the message that we proclaim. This is what we do. So Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 says, In Jesus we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Jesus Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to uh, unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. This is the message we eat, digest, and then proclaim. The voice, then the voice that I heard from heaven spoke to me again saying, go, take the scroll that is in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and told him, give me the little scroll. And he said, here. Or he said, said to me, take, eat it. It will make your stomach bitter, but your mouth, it will be sweet as honey. This language of bitterness in the stomach. The stomach is the center in scripture for the emotions. Okay? So it, I know we think of always, you know, got acid reflux or, you know, nauseous or no, it's, it's a center of emotion for an individual. So there was a, a burden, right? An emotional burden that comes with the eating and the digesting of the word of God. But in your mouth, it'll be sweet as honey. 
And I looked, and the little scroll from the hand of the angel ate it. It was sweet as honey in my mouth, but when I had eaten it, and my stomach was made sick. The message is received by eating the scroll. Uh, This is not a foreign analogy for the reception and processing of the word of God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Right? This passage is drawing specifically from Ezekiel chapter 3. That's what John is, is pulling in here. In Ezekiel 3, he says, The angel said to Ezekiel, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate it. And it was in my mouth as sweet as honey. And then Peter in the New Testament does an analogy for eating the word of God and and partaking of the word of God, right? It says, so I put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. Like a newborn infant long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted um, that the Lord is good, that the Lord is Right. So to proclaim the message, we must eat it. To eat it, we must study it and understand it, tasting that the Lord is good and proclaiming it. Right. It's sweet as honey. It's a sweet message because there is a sweetness in knowing God's word. Right. And, and studying it for we are interacting with the very thoughts of God and he is revealing himself to us through the Holy Spirit, this is surely sweet as honey. There's nothing sweeter. But as we bring that in and as we digest that and as we understand it, there is bitterness in knowing God's word. There is a burden to proclaiming it. For God's word contains hard truths, such as we are all sinners, that everyone is a sinner. Right? That's a hard truth. And that often is very bitter in our mouths, very bitter in our stomachs. It's a burden upon us. Our sin burdens us. And then there's also the reality that judgment is coming with the day of Yahweh for those who do not believe. And I don't know about you, but my soul is burdened for the lost, for those who do not know. And there is a bitterness there. There is an deep emotion there that they will not confess Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised him from the dead. That has a bitterness within that message. That judgment is coming. Zephaniah 1.14 says, The great day of the Lord is near, near and hastening fast. The sound of the day of the Lord is bitter. And the mighty man The one who's capable, what's he do? He cries aloud there. He cries like a baby because it's overcoming him. Today is the day of salvation. That has a sweetness, but it also has a bitterness. Because the day of the Lord will come when we do not expect it. Now we who are of the light know that the day of the Lord is coming. And we will not be surprised by it. But those who are not of the light, they will be caught off guard. 
So bitterness is also found in the rejection of the message which we are called to proclaim. And I think this is what probably stops most of us from proclaiming. We don't want to be rejected. Ezekiel 3.11 says, Go to the exiles to your people and speak to them. Say to them, thus says the Lord, whether they hear or refuse to hear, we must proclaim. And verse 3.14 says, The Spirit lifted me up and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit, the hand of the Lord being strong upon me. Driven to share what the Lord has said in spite of the rejection. Driven even by the bitterness of knowing that those may not accept the gospel, the good news that God has. But choosing not to live off the bitter part of the message. And that is that judgment is coming. We must not let the bitterness of the message or the bitterness of rejection prevent us from proclaiming the message. And this is the message, that God became flesh in the person of Jesus to seek and save the lost through his sacrificial death, validated through the power of his resurrection. Today is the day of salvation, for he is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And we must be ready for the day of Yahweh. And one way we prepare for the day of Yahweh is proclamation of the gospel. And the gospel is not just Jesus dying on the cross and raising from the dead. The gospel is also that he is coming again. And we as believers look forward to that and cry out, come Lord Jesus, come. But those who do not know, know that it is coming of the day of Yahweh, the day of judgment. And today, church... Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to make that commitment to say yes to Jesus. And today is the day to proclaim. For we are his ambassadors chosen to proclaim, chosen to prophesy, to speak the ministries of God to the world. And that's what it says in Revelation 10, 11. As I was told, you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations, languages, and kings. This word prophesy, oftentimes we think of it just foretelling the future. But really, this word has more of a complex meaning than that. Prophesy also means the proclamation, the voice of God being spoken for the world. And for believers, here today, when I stand up here and I proclaim the word of God to you, I am functioning in the service of a prophet. And we are all called to speak, to proclaim the word of God, the mystery of God. So John is reminded of his call to proclaim the mysteries of God to all. We too need to be reminded of our call to Proclaim these mysteries. We have been imparted with ancient words. Ancient words that change our hearts. Ancient worlds that would change the world. And we are called to proclaim. So may we then eat, digest, 
and then proclaim that God became flesh in the person of Jesus to seek and save the lost through his sacrificial death, validated through the power of his resurrection. Today, today is the day of salvation, for he's coming again to judge the living and the dead. We must be ready for the day of Yahweh, and we must proclaim. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the message of redemption that you've imparted to each one of us. And may we go out in the different places of influence that we have and proclaim you. Proclaim you crucified and risen again and coming again. We praise you and we thank you that you're coming again. And we, we have a burden for the lost, but we have a burden for your return. And in some ways, that has a bitterness to us. And we accept that and we embrace that. Because you are changing us and transforming us. And we choose to believe. We ask for your grace and your empowerment to do that. For it's not us that we proclaim, but Jesus as Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.